Hello everyone, and welcome to your uncle's beach house. Uh, it is the Abnormal Mapping anime podcast that isn't about Gundam. I'm joined by M as usual. Anime Janai. Anime Janai. It's the anime podcast where we're not watching anime today uh, because this is a Patreon episode. We are joined by Nick, uh, who has had us watch a movie. Nick, what have you had us watch? And would you like to introduce yourself also? Like oh, hi. <laughs> yeah, I'm Nick. Uh, anime Janai indeed. Let's see. Uh, today we are watching Gamera Guardian of the Universe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, now you um, message us. Like, Would this be an okay selection? And we were like, absolutely. <laughs> uh, 300% will watch this Gamera yeah, movie. Yeah, uh, yeah oh, so uh, Gamera's like, this is what, the was it ninth installment of Gamera? I've never seen any Gamera movies. I know all the other ones are like Showa era. Um, so, you know, it's been some time. Um and I was curious why you picked this one, uh, and if you have any other experience with like earlier Gamera movies. Oh yeah, well this is the first Heisei era Gamera film. It's the first of what fans usually refer to as the trilogy, that they usually say is the best uh, kaiju films ever made. So yeah, that's a lot going for them. And uh, yeah, I've watched the older show ones on Mystery Science Theater 3000. And other than that, well, I just think they're good movies. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, specifically, this is the 1995 movie, uh, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, uh, directed by uh, Shusuke uh, Kanako and written by uh, Kazunori Ito, um, who you might recognize as the writer of, like, the Pat Labor movies and Ghost in the Shell and Dirty Pair, the anime. Yeah, dot Hack. Right, Dot Hack became is like his modern thing. Yeah. And then he wrote all three of these movies. Um, God, he had this and Ghost in the Shell in the same year. Those are nine. Those are nine day different movies, but that's a good year to have as a writer, I think. Uh, but. Yeah. Um, where do we want to begin? Should we just summarize the plot quickly? Yeah, if you'd like to do that, that'd be great. Not really, but I, I guess I will. <laughs> I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, but only because uh, I'm sick, so I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh, the movie begins uh, with a, a ship uh, carrying a whole bunch of plutonium um, uh, in, in, the, in the sea, and it collides with like a strange atoll that is floating and uh, that is like a Gamera under the water. They, you, you just see like a close up of the face of the turtle, uh, and nobody knows what to make of this. Uh, as everyone gets thrown aboard because um, it's it's a massive, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a massive sea turtle underwater. Uh, at the same time, uh, um, some other scientists are attacked uh, in an archipelago by a giant bird. Um, this Wikipedia page helpfully has like place names, but I did not have those subtitled in my movie, so I'm a bit fuzzy on the events of the first bit because a lot of it's in newspaper headlines that I just could not read. Um, but uh, we then go to like we follow two groups. Uh, first, of the groups is led by um, what is yeah led by uh, uh, Yoshinari Yonomori, uh, who is this like very earnest uh member of uh this team on a boat trying to investigate what happened to these scientists at the same time there is Naoya 
um, who is uh, a girl uh, who worked with a professor who has been mysteriously killed uh, and is trying to investigate the 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 like attacks with the birds these two attacks uh, these two like plot lines collide uh the birds turn out to be uh creatures called gaios uh obviously the turtle investigation is about gamera um gaios are like uh creatures that came from um like genetically engineered in atlantis but which is like a myth uh, that has spread around the world and the actual Atlantis was around here and it's um, was like around near in the Pacific Ocean and maybe that's where this came from and like they're l- looking at the um, the cells of the Gaius and uh, the government wants to capture it uh, but the young girl who forms a connection with Gamera and is like we need to trust in Gamera to fight off uh, the Gaius and then the rest of the, the bulk of the movie the, the last hour is basically watching uh, everyone slowly come around to the idea that yes, we do need to put our hopes in Gamera to fight off these Gaios. Uh, and there's a really cool, really big fight where Gamera totally fights down the last Gaios that, like, uh, after killing, like, destroying the eggs, becomes a super Gaios, and then they have a huge fight, and it manages to save the day, and then uh, just disappears in the sea until is needed again, presumably in movie two of the trilogy. <laughs> Which is a, a broad plot summary there, but that is basically what happened. If it felt, yeah, that just about sums it all up. Uh, so, you know, I've seen a bunch of Godzilla movies and yes. uh, enjoyed them, and you know, various kaiju and toku stuff. Um, I was not prepared for the minute where Gamera takes off on his jet legs and spins like a firework through the air. Oh, that's not realized that was a thing that Gamera could do. <laughs> it's amazing. What he's famous for. <laughs> Yeah, I just knew that Gamera was a big sea turtle. Yep. Um, I didn't really know any specifics. So watching him just, like, start flying, incredible. Yeah, that was a huge reveal in the original Showa movie where they think there's a separate flying saucer going around. They're like, oh, no, aliens. Oh, wait, it's just Gamera. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Man, I should watch those. Yeah, they're ridiculous. They're fun. Because <laughs> uh, the, the reveal of Gamera in this one, so, like... You get this, this scene at the start uh, where it introduces Gamera, but then cuts to really the the bulk of the first act is really building up uh, the the um, the Gaius because I assume this is just like the rhythm of versus movies. I have only seen I guess this is the only like Japanese versus movies I've seen, but uh, Godzilla twenty fourteen is this exactly as well to the point where I assume this is just the formula. But if I'm wrong, uh, M's more of an expert here and can correct me. I mean, you know. Very much like ships coming across and a mysterious island slash monster is the is the for the traditional form of these movies. So, but the, but like starting with the um with the Gamera and then like okay we'll build up we'll build up this Gaius and then we'll introduce Gamera in like a really cool way. So like, like they lure they lure the Gaius because the the military are mostly focused on the Gaius throughout the movie. Um, and they want to capture them because they're like super wild creatures that you have few research like things that made them. Maybe you these are and we can utilize as well. Um, and then I mean, originally it out. is strictly for like we want to capture these. They're endangered species. We don't know what they are. We would like to study them. Please, let's yeah, not so shoot as, the animals. But <laughs> as the movie goes on, it definitely implies like uh, well because of where they came from, some other humans were going above them, go above their station in creating weird animals. Uh, but they lead them to the, the big baseball dome um, and start setting up to capture them. Uh, it, it 
goes okay. Could have gone worse, uh, but could have gone a lot better too. And then the middle of this kind of disaster is all these guys are flying around the baseball stadium. Gamera shows up and just fly swats one into an oil refinery, which explodes. Oh, it's so cool. I popped. It's cool. It's cool as hell. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I thought this movie was super cool. Uh, I really liked how much of a, just a huge nerd the main guy was. He's the least cool man in any movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look at his polo shirts. <laughs> I mean, he spends most of the movie sucking up to his boss, uh, and that's very good. I like it a lot. He's introduced cooking, like, extra oh, yeah, uh, meals for his boss. Just in his house unannounced. And his, even his boss is like, bro, <laughs> it's a bit much, dude. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, th- this is also the first monster movie of, like, the mid-90s I have seen. And mm-hmm. watching this uh, on, like, you know, a high-definition version, this is just an incredibly good-looking movie. <laughs> I was stunned. Uh because it's tons of uh, it's tons of miniatures that you'd expect, but also like really good like digital effects because it's the mid '90s and the the speed with which this movie like evolves into like nonstop action shots is incredible. Yes, yeah, yeah. The entire back half is just like one huge action scene. Yeah, I will say the some of the green screen effects don't come out too good on the Blu-ray I was watching, but what can you do? No, they have a charm, though. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they like you know, in a way that I associate with this kind of stuff and clips I've seen of other Toku things. Like they lean into the. There's no attempt to make the CG seem real, right? No, um, yeah. So they lean into the artificiality of it, which combines with the obvious artificiality of guys in suits duking it out in a way that I think is really cool. It gives a good energy, um, and it just I don't associate like the use of CG in this way. Like you compare it to how Jurassic Park uses CG, which is also like a, I'm picking a good movie on purpose. It'd be easy to pick <laughs> one that looked like shit and mm. uh, uh, like own Hollywood, but just the priorities and how the CG oh, is Godzilla 1998. Yeah, I was just right, about to exactly. say <laughs> exactly. Be easy to mention that. That's a terrible movie. God, why did I watch that? Because uh, it was really big. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it was pretty big. Uh, yeah, I've only seen, yeah, like I said, I've only seen a few kaiju movies, um, but I, I clearly like the form a lot because um, the best way to open any movie is, uh, like, empirically uh, to have some something weird happen and then cut to like six different governmental agencies dryly reacting to it <laughs> uh, which this movie does that but it it moves so fast by like 20 minutes they're already capturing the trying to capture the bird in their first attempt um i, I was shocked by how like well paced and how fast this movie moved oh there's so much stuff happening there's the gauss and the gamma stuff is all separate up till that point <laughs> But like yeah. they've got both of those things, and uh, the the girl um, Nalia has like gone on two expeditions, one reluctantly, uh, and then been convinced to stick around while the other subplot's also going on. Um, and it's this is all in the first like twenty three minutes. It moves so fast. Uh, it's a very very watchable movie. Oh yeah, and we forgot to mention the uh, giant magic tablet on the back of camera. <laughs> Yeah, there's the whole thing with with uh, Gamera's tablet and like the history of Gamera. Um, beads, so much stuff. The beads, all good. Yeah. The thing, the thing about the, the beads, because like they find all these stones, these like 
kind of teardrop crescent shaped stones. And I've played Phoenix Wright before, so I'm like, oh, that's a Magatama. Or I've played Shimagami Tensei, where there's 800 of these as monsters. Uh, I've watched anime. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like, yep. uh, I feel like every one of you should know that this is a Magatama. Uh, it's like finding an arrowhead and being like, what is this mystical obelisk, tiny obelisk <laughs> yep. that we found en masse in, in the ground? Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely is pretty good because <laughs> I, I I didn't know I don't like know the word Magatama, but I did recognize them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but everyone in the movie treats it like they have just found like something that fell from space, and it's very charming to me. Mm-hmm. In a way, in a way that would be like kind of weird if it was a, like not already a Japanese movie. Yes, but also right. in like a very like this is pre the internet. No one knows what anything is. Kind of way. <laughs> you can make movies about anything. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, so yeah, there's a giant stone tablet that like is like in the right era. Gamera will come and save the world because Gamera is the thing they made after Gauss to save everyone. It was but like they made a, it too late. It's so like it a last to... minute thing just yes. in case this Gauss got out of control. And so Gamera is never got to save Atlantis, but gets to save the world now. Congratulations, us, I guess. <laughs> Thanks, Gamera. <laughs> Tokyo Tower was not so lucky. The Tokyo Tower being like half knocked down, and then uh, the Gauss making its nest in like the top, the bottom half is so good. It's such yep. a good shot. Oh uh, yeah, I just uh, made a note when that happened. Of uh, Gamera does not walk the path of heaven to rule over all. All I should rewatch Kamen Rider Kabuto. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's like these great shots of, of Gauss just like framed against the setting sun in its like nest. And then when Gamera finally attacks that, you just get the greatest gross shots of giant eggs being like knocked out of the big nest and hitting the ground and erupting in purple goo. It's great. Oh, it's so good. Uh, the, yeah, the, the goo is so gross with those eggs. Yes. It's so gross. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the thing I found most interesting about this movie, and, uh, the thing I was thinking of most was not, like, traditional Godzilla movies, but actually Shin Godzilla watching this, um, because there's something about, like, the way in which this is framed in modernity that reminds me of, like, what Shin Godzilla's doing, but less over the top in that this thing happens, it's a big disaster, but so much of the movie is, like, predicated upon people in boardrooms, like, passing the buck on who's going to respond to it, um, and always with an eye to, and th- this movie I think actually does this better than Shin Godzilla does, to this is a road, like, there's, this is a good excuse for the Japanese to remilitarize, and that is both, like, a necessary thing in-universe, but also a thing everyone is eager to do. Um, there's so much time paid to the part where, like, mobilizing the self-defense force with a preemptive strike is, like, a new and interest, like, you know, groundbreaking thing historically. Like, they are finally going to go on the offensive and attack something. And it gets to be a monster because we don't want to think about attacking other people. We just really want a military like a real country. Um, and that sort of, like, nationalist ego, like, I feel like is much more honest here than it ends up being in Shin Godzilla. But it's definitely, like, pulling from the same cultural thread. Um, yeah, I think that by, like, Shingle sort of bringing in the American stuff in ways that is only half works and very awkward towards the end. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, makes it oh, a, Japan like, could just stand as equals next to America and walk into the future together. Turns out. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I think the first pay time no, Pay no attention to how Japan has been built for the last hundred years. We don't want to think about that. <laughs> right. Like, um, 
the way the Shingon very explicitly like positions nationalism as the the way forward and out of this crisis together uh, is uh, more uncomfortable and uh, like I think that that movie does the like knives out uh, like parody better i guess the people are way shittier in shin godzilla it's much more leaning into the comedy of it but i think like thematically uh the anxiety and excitement around remilitarizing is played a little more honestly here because it's not it's not like trying to skewer this kind of like uh, way of governments doing business it's just kind of portraying it as part of the movie well, yeah, it's like like the inherent response to like a natural disaster is the people in power will use it to grab more power, even as they abdicate responsibility. Yeah. Um, you know, timely stuff. <laughs> yeah, it helps that they just made that one politician just the worst character ever. Yes. Yeah. Just his hair's so bad. Yeah, that guy sucks. <laughs> his hair's so bad. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, th- that that character is interesting because he spends so much time like demanding that uh, the researcher do the exact thing he wants, which I think is good because it is like the movie is aware of the fact that he is putting like a very young woman in a very like you know responsible position that she is not equipped for, um, and she knows it and realizes that it sucks to be put in this position and just like you know stands up to it and it's very good. Yeah, she's yeah. just all of a sudden made the authority on this thing just happen to be the smartest person who happened to see it first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all sucks. She uh, got nominated for a bunch of acting awards for this role, which is uh, surprising and cool for me. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. There's like a whole uh, set of awards that's won at like the Okama Film Festival and the Blue Ribbon Awards, but yeah, she won Best Supporting Actress at both of them. So cool i mean she's good in this movie yeah uh it's good because often you get like the protagonist like the guy in this movie the protagonists of kaiju movies are kind of like you know gormless good guys you're like looking at them like okay i get it you're like doing your best um but you're also kind of a dumbass uh and like positioning her as someone in over her head but like aware of it against that guy gives her a lot of space to like have more going on I, I just think she's like a good centering force uh like as an audience surrogate but isn't someone who is just like the everyman mm-hmm. and i mean like i said like that that everyman is like like i said very distance from the yes. audience i feel because of how like overly earnest he is about his boss and the structure like he's just here to help and help everything and no one's got any untoward you know everyone's working in his mind everyone's working their best also the minute that her boss gets killed by giant bird she's like fuck this i'm leaving i'm not gonna do this anymore oh yes (laughs) yeah that's an amazing shot where it's just like the gauss droppings and she just looks through and there's the glasses the thing we have to talk about here that is wild, especially about the first, like, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of this movie, it's just Jurassic Park. Yeah, it is. Just straight up. <laughs> yes. There are entire shots that are just, like, exactly Jurassic Park, and it's so weird to watch. Because, like, the timeline is such that, like, I think it's probably just serendipity, because, yeah, like, these are, like I assume the same Jurassic time. Park's not lifting from this movie, right? Yeah, no, this is off the Jurassic aware. Park. Jurassic Park's two years before this movie. Oh, is it two years before this movie? For some reason, I always think Jurassic Park is 96, but it's but not. Maybe it's, it's out in Japan Jurassic Park's by like this 93 part. or 92. Yeah, 93, 93. Man, yeah. right. Okay, that's enough time that they might just be lifting Jurassic Park, but um, it's really good, great. 
I know Jackson's a little bit of a Jurassic Park detractor. I think that's I watched ridiculous. it in 2012. I'm sure that's not true anymore if I watched it again. Um, but Jurassic Park is fantastic. Just, like, the, w- the way in which the giant, like, you know, bird uh, bird dropping scene goes is, like, lifted straight off Jurassic Park. Just, like, the way they approach the island in the helicopters and, you know, she's running around being, like, the Ellie character. Uh, it's all great. It's all, like, lifted so directly. Like, the bird, the bird attack when they're trying to unmoor the boat is just, like, the typhoon in Jurassic Park. It's great. I love Jurassic Park. Watching this movie lift that stuff is so exhilarating because it does it in a way that makes Jurassic Park seem like the most ponderous movie on Earth, and it's not. It's Jurassic Park, but this movie goes so fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I assume it has to be into Like, Jurassic Park is a huge movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This was this was weirder when I forgot when I thought Jurassic Park came out in '96. I was like, "Huh, okay." Jurassic Park just nope. Going going the other way and making the remove like another year. This makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Especially as like I when I hear about I haven't like watched too many right. But when I hear about kaiju movies, I hear about this one being like, "Oh, this one is like a cool big one of the '90s," and they hadn't been like that big in the like late '80s and like you know. I hear about the ones in the '50s and the '70s, and then I hear about this one in the '90s, and I assume like this was a bit of like you know. Oh, Jurassic Park thinks it can do this. That's cute. <laughs> we'll just take it and do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of things uh, uh, being uh, ripped off, uh, there is there is one part of this movie that... I don't know how deliberate it is, but it is funny specifically because of the Pat Labor connection. Uh, this is written by the writer of uh, Pat Labor 1 and 2. Uh, and yet, Pat Labor 3, bad movie uh, from 2003, would go on to just do the baseball stadium scene. <laughs> yes, not nearly as well, though. No, no, it is, well, but it's the same thing. And I'm like, yeah. was this like a kind of a planned thing before? Is that like a weird connection here? I have no idea. But it was similar enough that I was like, I know that the military setting up to do a big chap- capturing thing. It, like, you know, it's generic enough that it could be a coincidence. But also, there's that one connection there that it could also not be, and I just didn't know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and like baseball stadiums are like you know the large stadium in you know Japan. That's what you're gonna have. Yeah. But when you look at like America, you're like, it's not like there's that many scenes that like are giant football stadium stuff. Like you think of. Uh, Batman, and that's kind of all I think of in modernity, right? Like, oh god, it's just that Batman scene. <laughs> yeah, I think that new Godzilla movie, not the King of the Monsters, the one before it, ended with them all at a football stadium, right? Oh, uh, right, they were using it okay. as the evacuation. It's like grounds. a shelter, yeah. That's okay. not quite the same. Not the but same, it, I guess it counts, but yeah, yeah, I mean. Football I'm pretty stadiums. sure Godzilla uh, 1998 also has Godzilla lays a bunch of eggs in. I think it's a bas- I think it's like a, just like a basketball stadium in that one. But I'm pretty sure the end of that movie is them going into a big like dome stadium to eliminate like all the eggs that Godzilla laid. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one is probably my favorite one of them all because they lure the gauss in with just 800 very fake dead cows oh i have this note so many foam cows yes they look incredible um because they're just like bright white and like like reddish pink and like the fakest way possible and they stock them all up and then they come in through the dome and then they close the dome and like don't shoot until the dome closes and of course they fuck they that immediately up shoot Yep. Yeah, um, and then it doesn't matter anyway because Gamera comes and just fucks up that dome, uh, and it's incredible. As the Gauss, uh, they could have escaped at any time because they have weird like laser, like pressure laser uh, mounts. 
Yeah, it's like a sonic ray almost that cuts so cleanly. The thing I think of is uh, Metal Gear Ray with like the big water jet. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought of. Yes. <laughs> the bit where it has the big beam that like goes across the floor. I'm like, oh, I've got to press B and dodge out of the way of that thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The Gauss, the Gauss in general are really cool because uh, they're, you know birds and they have these very flat like angular heads and so they're not men in suits mostly they are i mean they they are in like big battle scenes but anytime you get a close up of the head it is a puppet and looks like it and it just looks otherworldly and like alien in a way that is very cool oh um, yeah when it's not on the meat and it's just ah so yeah cool. the thing i thought of it kind of is like the monsters from pitch black um which are very angular in this in this like very wedge-shaped way in the same way um but those are like terrible early aught cg things Things, and this thing looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was definitely like impressed and um, really enjoyed how much they committed to trying to make the monsters not look like guys in suits, even though they still were. It wasn't like they just made weird CG monsters, but whenever they had to like show them doing anything other than fighting, uh, the puppet work on the heads for for both of the creatures, like it's it, this good animatronics works uh, across this movie. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah, and the flying effects too, like that that scene with the dog early on. That was really, really yep. unfortunate for the dog. <laughs> oh, it sure was. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Another thing of just this being a movie from the nineties uh, is that both me and M independently had the reaction of getting just really mad about color grading. Oh, yeah. yeah, this movie, in terms of, like, color choices, just constantly looks great. Like, it, it, you look at something like, like Kong Skull Island or, you know, Peter Jackson King Kong, and so much of, like, going to an island is, or, you know, in Godzilla, like, 2014 is just, like, everything is crushed grays or crushed browns, uh, incredibly, like, narrow gambit, and then you get into the city stuff, and it you know, either maintains that, or everything is otherworldly blue or green, depending on what monster is shooting what beam at any given time. Um, and it just sucks. Like, this movie is, like, really bright and colorful. There's a really great scene where uh, Gauss and Gamera clash, like, over a bridge where someone is, like, trying to escape with a child. And it's just, like, the brightest, like, sunny day. It's just really nice out. And it looks green and, like, beautiful and good. Like, blue skies, green trees. Everyone's just, like, normal, healthy skin tones as this giant battle is happening and ruining everyone's life. And it's so much more effective than if you tried to atmosphere it all up, which any movie now would do yes yeah because it's like it's obviously movies of this era still had like colors as a design um yeah it wasn't like without that but the way in which it goes between scenes and the amount of like space that it has to cut between like here's a dark outside scene here's like the scenes because there's a big period of the movie where it's like late afternoon sunset but there's also like dust everywhere and there's an orange tint over everything yeah um in a way that exactly um Kong Skull Island has that but for the whole movie but then it'll just cut to like a nighttime scene out in the mountains and then it just looks like the mountains and like those two colors deliberately contrasting at each other to give a sense of place to both scenes in a way that uh every single movie today would compress that to make sure that the movie has its own color palette for the whole runtime that looks um, like every other sucks. movie with the color palette yeah, yep. the whole runtime always the same always every time uh, remember when movies no used to care about this stuff uh. and even i mean even the movies that like do have um good 
color grading uh and like interesting color choices today are still like you know i still miss the feeling of just here's chemically processed film um yeah, uh, try, not gonna, not to... we can't we can't scan the whole thing into a computer, right? Like, right, yeah. Know, what we what we shoot is relatively what we get, and so the color choices are like del- like they're deliberate, but also they just have the spectrum of experience and reality, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, but it does give the movie like this very like mostly like very bright uh, experience that. Uh, is interesting because I, I like Gamera, like culturally Gamera, the thing I know, he's a turtle, he's a friend of children, which I assume is more like a show a thing where I assume he's like a goofier character. But even in this movie, like he is the guardian monster that is like guided by a girl holding a talisman. And there's just something a little lighter about that, even though like this movie definitely plays it up. Like she's linked to the talisman. So anytime she gets hit, she's going to bleed because she has Gamera's wounds. Um, which is like exactly the kind of like edgy bent I would take on that if I was also making a movie in the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, but it's okay. It sounds sounds edgy and dumb, but uh, it's good because what it means is the movie can end as Gamera heals her wounds and basically gives a thumbs up. Yes. Dive into the ocean. He should have actually given a thumbs up. I was so mad he did not. Yeah. <laughs> the thumbs up in spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, real quick, I kind of want to bring up uh, kind of midway through this movie before Gamera and Gauss get to Tokyo proper, where everyone's just kind of reacting to Gamera and Gauss, and they're just not taking it seriously. <laughs> Felt kind of topical. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, that's definitely like a part of uh, most of these movies, right? Because um, uh, Shin Godzilla leans into that a lot harder in terms of... Um, you know, making it like a, pa- a parody of uh, government institutions. This also yeah. has that, but it's just like it isn't aware quite. Like it's aware that it sucks, but it doesn't push it into like farce. Um, it doesn't ever go to like, oh, there's too many people here. We must all go from one meeting room to the next room. Blah, 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 type of bits that Shin Godzilla had. Yeah, but they oh, extremely yeah. pull her into giant boardrooms with men, and then they segue into like the '60s set where like they just have the command yes! center in the big room with the round table, and it's incredible. Oh yeah, but I'm talking about like the people on the streets, like the kid in the oh, grocery yes. store just tearing up vegetables because ah, oh, I'm a monster. Oh, that stuff's great. Yes. Yeah, and the guys on that train. Because they t- like they talk about like there's the f- there's no fish being shipped from the place they get fish because that place got gamered uh, yeah, or like oh I guess we're getting no red snapper today um, and they're like ah, okay I guess we'll just buy all the rest of the meat instead um, and yeah it's interesting to watch like on the fringes the ways in which like the logistics break down in disaster which is a thing all these movies are about but also like everyone's awareness of this is. T- so much higher now just living in the world right right uh special mention to the music just because of other topical reasons uh music composed by koatani um, yeah composer yeah. of uh shadow the colossus and gundam wing exactly yeah also and, uh, hibani we'll renme which right we're now. gonna be talking about next week oh ah, timing it's, it's it's the show it's, it's the yeah it's the koatani month yeah yep um he he hasn't done like that much stuff, honestly. Uh, no, it's not, but like, hugely. We just we just horrific. managed to wander into like this little window of stuff. Yep. Uh, but yeah, he does this whole trilogy. The soundtrack was good. Um, everything with Kotani music has ripped so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good composer. 
Uh, what other bits do you want to hit? Huh. Um, I uh, the final confrontation um, is does my favorite thing um, in fiction where explosions are staged like in segments like they are comedy gangs um, because they have this big fight and. G- also, Gamera flies up into space and suplexes Gauss into the Earth, which is sick as hell. Um, oh, maybe it's so good. Oh, but a failed attempt. Gauss cuts off its own leg at the last second. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, but then they're fighting in like a giant like refinery area, like industrial area. And the way in which the explosions happen, like you get the big explosion of like Gamera's fireball, and then you get like the incidental explosions around it as the tanks and stuff blow up, is just like this incredible sequence of blowing up all your miniatures all at once. Uh, I love it when explosions are staged. The effects in this movie are ex- exceptional. Um, that, that's what's good. Like even Gamera, like crushing buildings, like the way in which building like apartment buildings are rendered in this movie uh, has such a care to like interiors and like superstructures. Like there's a bit where uh, Gamera like attack, like hits like this multi-story like kind of angled angled apartment building and you the whole building shutters and you like see inside the windows of all the apartments as like the blinds are shaking as well and it just looks great. It's fantastic. Uh, That one shot uh, at the end where they drops in space and all the explosions happen is really good because for me my reaction to that shot was because at first they explode and like they're kind of small in the shot right they come down and uh, the implication is they've kind of dropped a fair way away and you see explosions in the background and my first reaction was oh they've just used the shot and superimpose the explosion into the background and then gradually the explosions just come further and further forward until you're just watching the things right in front of you blow up. I was like, oh no, they blew all of this up. They blew this whole setup one by one. <laughs> um, and it's just it's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that's the fun thing about these old kaiju shows. You just blow everything up. I'm just watching Ultra 7 recently. There's non-stop miniature explosions in that one. <laughs> the miniatures are so intricate in this. Uh, yes. Yeah. Like, it, it, they really make good use of like shots of clearly miniatures but really well uh expressed like um shop fronts uh and areas and streets that have been lived in and abandoned and the sense of place in all these miniatures is uh incredible because then they just get three shots and then it's destroyed by the camaro gals and uh it's it's great they spent they spent the money on this one um oh yeah i see how this is like a big like kaiju reboot in the 90s because uh they went all in uh there's also like a really great sequence where the gauss like flies alongside a train that is full Mm -hmm. and like picks up one of the cars and drags it off and eats the people inside that are all like you know turn into miniature people that get chomped and uh that whole sequence has like such a distinct energy that reminded me of some other movie and i couldn't remember what it was and i've been like racking my brain the entire time uh of someone large menacing a train in like an american 90s movie that looked way goofier but i can't recall what it is men uh, in but black. i is it nobody this is a train in men in black do they i think it's in men in black 2 when that happens oh i don't remember men in black 2 at all so okay. it might be men in black 2 there is some dumb train thing in that movie. Yeah. But the the part the part where Gauss carries away the train car and like tears it open, uh like like you're like shucking like a clam to eat the people inside is really good. Yeah, yes. it's the uh, same people from earlier in the movie that were complaining about, oh, I hope Gauss doesn't come here. The guy's in all the sports fan gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. 
that was pretty good <laughs> uh yeah the, they get a lot out of the like cutaways to now we're gonna have characters you see for exactly two scenes um reacts to gamera fucking up their day uh which is always good yeah. um I, I like when movies do that well because my head always goes to like the really bad versions of that which is uh obviously the worst one um star trek generations the girl dropping her bear when they leave the enterprise just intolerable so i like when movies did like cut away to like here's a quick character watch them get owned uh well uh which happens in basically every disaster movie ever yeah um uh, what are the what other things you want to say here um, I just was really surprised how much I liked this. Uh, I didn't quite know what to expect, because, like I said, I haven't watched any uh, Heisei era, uh, like, kaiju movies. And this being the first one sets a very high bar. Yeah. Well, I have good news for you. There are two other movies like this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I will definitely try to look, watch those. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing I did want to do is I wanted to read uh, the very famous quote from Roger Ebert's review of this movie where he gave it three stars, uh, which is out of four so that's a good review um, but there's a quote that gets passed around like Twitter every once in a while that is from the review of this movie that is uh, fantastic because uh, he talks about it in comparison to another movie of 95 Air Force One <laughs> uh, there's a learning process that moviegoers go through they begin in childhood without sophistication or much taste and for example like gamera more than air force one because flying turtles are obviously more entertaining than united states presidents then they grow older uh, and so develop are. taste and prefer air force one which is better made and has big stars and a more plausible plot isn't it more believable after all that a president could single-handedly wipe out a planelet of terrorists <laughs> than that a giant turtle could spit gobs of flame then, if they continue to grow older and wiser, they complete the circle and return to Gamera again, realizing that while both movies are preposterous, the Turtle movie has the charm of utter goofiness, and in an age of flawless special effects, it is somehow more fun to watch flawed ones. So true. Correct. I've I've seen Air Force One. It's not as good a movie as you would think of the president fights the planes on uh, Air Force One would be. It's also definitely not as good as this movie. No, <laughs> it's not. By a mile. <laughs> God could not be more true yeah uh thank you ebert for defending gamera against air force one someone had to do it <laughs> the idea that anyone would like care about air force one now is very funny <laughs> yes that was a big movie uh, yeah it did not did not have staying power uh, no no that's because harrison ford made a bunch of those and nobody cares anymore yeah. yeah, even among, like, dumb, dumb, like, action movies of the 90s, no one cares. There's no face-off. It's no face-off. I mean, I feel like Con Air took the plain, like, award for things people the, remember. better than Air Force One. Yeah, but also it's the one people remember. Mm-hmm. God, Con Air's fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Movies are weird. Movies were weird. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much uh, for recommending this one. Um, didn't have, like, super... Uh, dense thoughts, but uh, it wasn't a super dense movie. It was just on the face of it, very good. Uh, it was a great recommendation. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's movie just, should uh, be ninety minutes long. Yeah, fun little yes. movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, one bit I do want to mention is that at the end they're in a helicopter, kind of watching the final fight because the the movie has to contort some way to get the people near the battle. Right. We need our main uh, characters here. <laughs> and. Um, 
There is an amazing shot where like all the missiles impact and there's a huge explosion and then it cuts back to the helicopter where like the guy lifts up his arm like he's got a bit of sun in his eyes. <laughs> And the mismatch of the effect shot and the reaction shot is just huge. It was so funny. And he just kind of moves a bit back into, oh, oh, got a bit of dust here. <laughs> like, while right next to seven cruise missile explosions. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much, Nick. Yeah, uh, no problem. For- for being on today and uh, for bringing us this movie. Would you like to uh, let us know where you're on the internet? Do you have any plugs or are you just Nick from the podcast? <laughs> I'm kind of just Nick from the podcast who hangs out in your Discord all the time, so <laughs> if you want to talk to me, I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, everyone watch more monster movies, watch more tokusatsu, you'll be happier that way. <laughs> it's true. It, yep. it is true. I'm definitely gonna go lay in bed and watch a bunch of Common Rider today because I am uh, feeling a little under the weather. So, yep. Oh, the happiest people on my Twitter feed are the people watching Common Rider. This is always true. It's so fun. Um, yeah, well, uh, you can find me at Head Falls Off. You can find other podcasts that me and M do at abnormalmapping.com. There's loads there, uh, including Abnormal Mapping. That is the game club we do. Technically, the central podcast of our network. Uh, we are. We have just released a podcast on um, Halo recently, and we're going to do Kentucky Route Zero soon, so look forward to that. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. If you'd like to support the network, you can do that at patreon.com slash mapping. For $1 a month, you will get the Great Gundam Project every week. We're watching Gundam Wing and uh, Space Runaway Ideon right now, and uh, having a great time of both, so please check that out. Um, and we'll be back in a week, two weeks, with uh, Haibani Renmei. So the, the Beach House train just keeps coming. It's true. Uh, anime never stops, even though this technically wasn't anime. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, anime nothing more honest than Anime Janai. Yeah. Anime Janai. Uh, all right. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you next time. And goodbye. Bye. Bye.